With God's help, David was able to experience victory over the giant in his path. His enemy was defeated. But what does it look like to respond to victory? What does it look like for us? Who gets the glory for it? Today we're going to come to the conclusion of the story of David and Goliath. And once again we see David's godly position and how he responded to that victory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to find victory in our lives today. Through you, the only true victor. We know that victory is dependent upon you and that you will deliver us in your good timing. Give us strength to persevere through that process. We pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. Good morning. Good to see you again. I'm glad you're back with us today. We're closing out the four-week sermon series on five smooth stones. Uh, As you know, we've been journeying through the uh, well-known story of David and Goliath. As we've looked at that story, I hope it's been an encouragement to you. As you look at this nine-foot-tall giant in David's life who uh, is fighting a battle against the nation of Israel and against God's people, God chose someone who nobody would expect, a little someone, David, a youth, someone who didn't appear to have the skills necessary to do the job. And yet that battle required David to focus exclusively not on the nation, not on Goliath, but on God. His focus was clearly on God and what God was able to do. And finally today we get to celebrate that victory. We get to look at the story from the side of someone who has won the battle and now gets to stand gloriously in God's honor. I want you to think about that story. A number of years ago, I used to play golf. I can't really do it that well anymore. Back won't let me, you know, arthritis and stuff like that. But for a number of years, we would play. Matter of fact, when I pastored here in the Tulsa area at that time, we'd go over to La Fortune. They had a par three at night. And we'd go after church, we'd run over and play par three. And it was a lot of fun. And I'm pretty decent. You know, I was okay. I could hit, I could hit par threes pretty well. But, you know, long drives, not so much. But we had this pastor tournament statewide that my friend put together in Oklahoma City. And so I went to, to play with a team that I had put together. Uh, part of the team was a group that I had pastored, and it was a uh, brother team who played par threes for money. <laughs> they, they played, if there was a tournament open, they would go play, and they could nail them you know, with their eyes closed. Not a problem. And the other guy on the team was my long ball hitter. He was the guy who could hit the longest drive. And he was as good as any professional. He just had a business and didn't want to give it up to play professionally. So I put together a, you know, dream team, so to speak. I'm not that, I wasn't that great. But it afforded me the opportunity to take chances that day that I normally wouldn't take. And so when the tournament was over with, we had won the longest drive from my long drive guy. And then the closest to the pin, which is the par three kind of thing. And we also won the tournament themselves. One of the guys who was running the tournament said, and I quote, you could not have slapped the smile off my face. And I think that was pretty true. I look back at that event and I got to celebrate a victory where, you know, it was because of the people who were around me that gave me the skills that I needed to be able to win that tournament. But it was a great time. And I, I, I look back that 
uh, event and there's joy it still brings a smile to my face to think about how I slipped those guys in and the and the frowns on everybody else's face as they kept handing out the awards and you know it was it was a it was a great day last week we talked about how God provided all we needed to get the victory the things that he's given us. We talked about the, the way that we remember those events and how those events help us to face the future because we know that God's goodness and his provision are there for us. I think as we remember him today, we honor him, we glorify him because of what he did in this story and what he has done through each victory that you and I have learned I look at this story today, and I think of the end here with David and Goliath. What, what a victory. What a glorious victory for David and the nation Israel. But also the enemy. We have to remember what happened to them, and we'll look at that as we study the story today. If you've got your Bible, please turn to 1 Samuel 17, verses 40 through 54. Kind of a long passage. If you want to stand in honor of reading God's word, feel free to do so. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistines' army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword nor spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistines moved closer to attack him, David ran toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine. With a sling and with a stone and without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath, and after he'd killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead... They turned and they ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn among the Sherim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, these few verses are of extreme importance, I think, as we look at this passage today. 
They give us the whole story. They tell us of what has happened. The enemy, the victor, we get to see what happens to the nation and what happens not only to the Philistines, but to Israelites. We see, I think, number one, that victory sends the enemy running. Number one, victory sends the enemy running. You know, much of our discussion so far in this series has been about the Israelite army. And if you remember, they were afraid. They would come every morning, they would look over this valley, and there would be the Philistines on the other side. Out every morning would, would come Goliath, and he would taunt the army, and they would cower back in fear and depression because of what they saw. So we, we've seen them. Verse 51 gives us a glimpse into the immediate response of that victory after it's over with. The Bible says that the enemy turned and ran. Now it's the shoes on the other foot. Now they are afraid because they have seen that their champion is dead. Their champion was dead and they lost all their hope. You know, I I look at that phrase. I see what happened to the nation of the Philistines. And I think I see something that needs to jump out for us today. And it's this. I think that one phrase that if we are not careful, we will put all our hopes on a champion, maybe the wrong champion. At least that's what the Philistines did, right? They didn't put their hope on the right champion. They put their hope on the wrong champion. And when he was dead, they ran and fled. If we don't put our hope and trust in Jesus alone, we'll be let down. We will not have the right champion. We won't have the right response. Maybe over the years you've put your trust in a political leader. They may have helped you. They may have hurt you. But ultimately, because they're human, they will let you down. Maybe you've put your hope in coworkers. You, you felt like if I work hard enough for my company, then my company will support me and my coworkers will stand up. And then you discovered when push came to shove and their job was on the line, they weren't as dependable as you thought they were. Or maybe you put your trust in a victor of a family member. You thought that that family member would be there or they would help you. Having trust in people is not bad. It's not bad to trust a family. It's not bad to trust a co-worker. It's not bad to place our trust in political leaders, except when those people take the place of God. When we put them before God, when we put all our trust and hope on political leaders, on co-workers or workers that we work with in other areas or family members, if we lift them above God and they take his place, we will be let down. I, I look at that verse and I, I think of Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and through 21. Read these words with me. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When I look at the Philistines and I think about them and I think of their champion, Goliath, 
it would have been easy to look at a nine-foot person and place all of your hope and trust on this person being able to deliver us because he is so much more skilled and so much more bigger than anybody else. They had, in fact, laid their treasure up in Goliath. They placed all their faith and all their hope in him. But when the scene exited, they were completely lost. All of that hope, all that trust, all that faith that they placed on their champion failed them because their champion failed. The good news is that you and I have a God who not only is personal, who not only is constant, but is the ultimate victor. Can I get an amen? When it's all over with, the Bible says that he will ride in on a white charger with a, a, a sword as a tongue from his mouth and will defeat how many armies? All of the armies. How many will kneel before him one day? All will kneel and confess that he is Lord. We serve and honor the one victor who can do anything that needs to be done in our lives. It reminds me of another verse that you and I quote very often, which is Romans 8, 28. Look at that with me again. And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We may experience seasons where we simply don't know where God is. The Israelites did. They went hundreds of years waiting for God to send the Messiah. They waited and they waited. But in God's good timing, he sent Jesus in what the Bible says, the fullness of time. When the time was right, God delivered them. And I am here to let you know from personal experience that God is still working and still delivering for his good and for his glory, because it's really ultimately about him, isn't it? It's not about us. It's about him. I read a story about Michelle Johnson. She writes that a number of years ago, she had taken her son to the hospital. And while she was there, she began to understand God's faithfulness and love to her. Her son had been uh, through surgery in the hospital, and like many of you, had to stay a number of days to make sure everything was all right. As she was in the hospital, you know, one morning she had stayed in the, in the room overnight. You know, they roll that rollaway bed in, and she stayed there with her son to make sure everything was okay. She got up the next morning groggily and, you know, stumbled to the elevator to try to find the cafeteria and some coffee. As she went, she pushed the wrong button, and she wound up on what was there, the sixth floor. And she stepped out of that elevator and looked onto a rooftop that she had seen many years before. It seems a number of years before she was involved in a severe car wreck. And she had been taken to this very hospital and placed on that sixth floor. And on that sixth floor, the doctors told her words like this. You'll never walk again normally. Within six to eight months, you'll, you'll begin to feel the effects of arthritis. Uh, you probably have to have a hip replacement within five years. They had told her everything negative that you could imagine related to orthopedics and because of her wreck in the car. And as she stood in that foyer looking out the window over that rooftop that she had seen for multiple weeks in recovery on that floor, she remembered those words 
and then remembered that none of those things came to pass. Nothing like that happened. She did walk normally. She did not have arthritis, and she did not have to have a hip surgery. It was then some 35 years later that those memories came rushing back to her and the faithfulness of God in her experience in healing. She writes these words, Do you need a reminder of his faithfulness today? She goes on to say, Wouldn't it be cool if we could sit down with some of the men and women of the Bible who talk about their memories of God? Wouldn't it be great to sit down with Joseph and hear his rendition of the events, what it was like to sit in a dreary prison waiting for God to deliver, and then that moment in which he was lifted up? Wouldn't it be unusual, wouldn't it be great to hear Daniel talk about God's faithfulness as you sit in a place where a lion is ready to eat everyone else but you because God said they couldn't do it? Or wouldn't it be wonderful to hear Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego still smoldering <laughs> from the smoke and the fire yet not burned, not one hair singed? and to hear about the faithfulness of God. Sometimes, in the business of life, we forget to remember his faithfulness. We read these stories and we hear what God has done, and sometimes we forget how faithful God can be because we interpret that story as just that, a story. It's not a story, it's a lesson for you and for me. To learn of the faithfulness of God in the midst of devastating circumstances. God was faithful to David, and God has been faithful to you. True victory, the kind of victory that's ultimately won by God in your life, should not send you and I running, but the enemy. We don't look at God and run. We look at God and storm the gates of hell because the enemy is running and you and I serve a faithful God that deserves our glory. The enemy runs, not us. Number two, victory gives glory to God. Read 1 Samuel 17, 52 with me. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath. And to the gates of Ekron, their dead were strewn along the Sharim Road and Gath and Ekron. As we already talked about, as we already noted in the story earlier, there, there were different times within this series that God gave glory. He gave victory to the nation. He deserves, though, the total glory for it. It wasn't just their victory. The nation's victory. It wasn't the king's victory. It wasn't David's victory. It was God's victory, right? He was the one who gave David the power to do what was done that day. Too often, I think we as people look at our own egos and think, well, maybe, maybe it was a little me that was involved in that. Maybe because of some of my skill or, or my education or my uh, physical prowess or my mental ability, you know, maybe, maybe some of it was me. When the truth is, it was God who won the victory. I think if Satan cannot defeat us like he tried to do the Israelite army, I think he will distract us. 
He'll distract us from what's going on around us and try to get us to look somewhere other than God for that faithful assurance that he's the one who deserves the glory. He's the one that deserves the power. He's the one that deserves everything and our focus like David gave the focus. It's interesting that the, the verse 52 in 1 Samuel 17 uh, talks about a great shout. The word great shout used there is a battle term and it means both physical and spiritual victory. When that shout is given, it's not just, I, hey, I've won it, you know. Uh, I've, I've lifted more weights than anybody else. I've run farther than anybody else. I've cast my javelin and I can shout a great victory. But it also is used in sp- a spiritual sense. That when I win a great spiritual victory before God, I can shout and give him praise and glory. Isn't it as much for us to give God glory and praise for the spiritual things he does over the physical blessings he gives us? I mean, I'm thankful for God for all the physical blessings, certainly. But shouldn't I be as grateful for the spiritual conquering that I have in my life? When he leads me past something that's, that's frustrated me or defeated me in the past, and now I overcome it, shouldn't I, I give a great shout to God in glory? I think that's what that verse is trying to remind us of. If you look at Psalm 108, you read these words in verses 10 through 13. Who will bring me to a fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, God? You who have rejected us and no longer go out with our armies, give us aid against the enemy, for human's help is worthless. Read that again. For human help is worthless. He goes on to say this. With God, we will gain the victory. And he finally says, and we will trample down our enemies. You you read that verse, Psalm 108, and you remember that David wrote many of those psalms. Here, I think David was asking the question, who will give us the victory? I wonder if he wrote the psalm before or after. I'm not quite sure. But he did say, with God's help, we will do mighty things. But human help means nothing. He had experienced that, hadn't he? He had been right in the midst where human help meant nothing. The armies could do nothing. And yet, with God's power and glory and a stone, he won victory. Where swords and javelins and and shields meant nothing, where physical prowess from people who had studied their entire lives to be soldiers accomplished nothing, it was only through God's power that the victory came. I think we need to look at God and take ourselves out of the equation. You see, when we take God out of the equation and think that we can do it on our own, we turn to Psalm 108 and discover human effort means nothing. It's God's power. It's his ability. Psalm 121 says this, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's because of his strength. It's because of his glory that the Lord came and worked through David, small youth, incapable of any strength that you and I would think of in defeating a nine-foot giant. And yet, 
Because of it, we give God the glory for what he did that day. I, I think, friends, we need to look at this fantastic story and be amazed at what God can do. To revel in the fact that today the same God that went through David is in you. Is that what the New Testament says? Christ in you? Christ lives in you. The verse that says, I can do all things through him which strengtheneth me, is the same God that led David through that valley, that laid David lay down that enemy, that gave David the ability to bring back his head and show it to everyone, that gave the army the ability to plunder and take back what was theirs. Satan would steal from you today like the Philistine army. He would take everything that God would give you, and yet God says, I can help you if you'll turn to me. So we turn to him today. We become as successful as David. I think finally, as we conclude this fantastic story, I think there's one more piece of post-victory that we look at. They've won. The champion is defeated. But now there's one more thing that happens. Verse 53, when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered the camp. I think many times we, we stumble over that and we move because it's just a sub point in the story. The big, the big news is David beat Goliath. You know, that's the big news. But yet, it's not all the news. They plundered the camp, it says. Number three, victory requires us to finish the job. Victory requires us to finish the job. I look at that passage of scripture and I see that the action taken by the Israelite army toward the camp of the Philistines is, as I said many times, skipped over. We, we pass over that. I, I think it happens. One writer named Hardin noted, historically, whenever there has been a time of transition, there has been an opportunity for anointing to take the plunder in the Old Testament, to take what was there. Plunder is that which has been stolen, which someone else now holds. They had taken from the nation, and they held it. It was really the Israelites' stuff, but it had been taken from them. Now it was given as a provision from God to transition from where they were to where God wanted them to be. It was payment, in essence, for the victory. It was what they got by doing and finishing the job for God. I think that season in the Israelites' history was a clear transition. Here you have David. He's anointed to be the future king. Remember? You remember the story we told? Here, here, here comes the prophet. He comes, where are all the kids? And everybody is trotted out, all the big brothers. And uh, w w don't you have any more kids? Well, there's the little one out in the field. And they bring David in, and he's the one. And so he's anointed to be king of Israel. Saul saw that he was still on the throne. But yet, in addition to this battle, here is David taking charge already and turning the situation around to a victory for God. But nonetheless, what we have to see is part of this story is this, that the nation didn't stop there. They just didn't have a party in the middle of the field. They chased the army as they went. And then once they got to where the army was, they took what was theirs. They plundered the camp. They overtook the enemy. I think often, often, 
we will ask God for freedom from a certain situation in our life. And then when the situation comes, we will not take the additional step. We will not complete the victory. I, I think it, it, its essence, here is the story with a bow on top. You know, here you go. Here's a gift, a gift from God, the plunder of all that they had. God opened up the opportunity for the Israelites to move from that season of transition with David now being anointed to be the king and looking forward to what he would accomplish. But first, they had to finish the job. They had to go through the camp, defeat the enemy dramatically themselves, and then bring back the plunder. I think in our lives, we cannot not afford to stop short. We can't mostly get the job done almost finish the job but we have to think today did Jesus stop short of the job what would have been like had Jesus said to the father something like this you know father sorry but the cross looks a little bit too painful I know you said that I would bring freedom to these people but you know I think I'm gonna stop right here I've done enough I've healed a few people, you know, I've done a few miracles. Everybody's, you know, looked to you and seen that I'm from you. Maybe we'll just stop right here. I'll leave it almost done. But that's not what the Bible says, isn't it? Aren't you glad that when his mission was fulfilled, Jesus cried from the cross, what? It is finished. He completed the job for you and for me. He finished it. If our master finishes the job, shouldn't we see it through to the end? Shouldn't we follow to its logical conclusion? What is it that God wants you to finish today? What is it that's been almost done, just almost finished, but you've not had the strength or the courage to follow through? God wants you to be like the nation Israel and plunder the camp of the enemy and get all that God offers you today through his victory. As we come to a close in this series, I want to remind you of some of the things that we've looked past in the weeks that have led up to this conclusion. Week one, we learned about the challenger David and Goliath faced in each other. We learned that there were numerous parallels between who Goliath was and who the devil is. And in understanding one, you, I think, can understand the other. If we know who our enemy is, we know how to confront him. In week two, we looked at David, the man after God's own heart, who in all things gave God the glory no matter what was going on. Throughout the story of David and Goliath, we see how David completely and dependently looked to God for everything that he needed. He was faithful to the end. He knew that God would deliver. He knew that God, in every circumstance, was the one who brought the glory. Last week, we saw how David had had gotten all that he needed through this victorious battle against Goliath. And this week, we looked at how David won the victory, how he accomplished what he said he would do. And we saw the differing responses to that victory. We saw what David did, we saw what the nation did, and we saw what the Philistines did. David's dependence upon God, 
I think, was the secret behind his success. Are you dependent only on God? Do you trust only in him? Or do you say things like, let me figure out how to do this. Let me work this out. Let me see how I can deal with those people. Is that what you do? Or do you ask, what is it that God wants? What is God trying to do? David could have left the job half done. He could have just simply cut off the head, held it up, and walked back. But yet they chased them all the way to Ekron, all the way through Gath. Look at the verse 17, 45 through 47. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. All those who gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Consider the line in this passage. All will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. He does this. And there is no question who is responsible for the victory. David doesn't claim it. He doesn't claim it for the armies. He claims it for God. Do you need to experience some victory in your life today? Do you need to finish something for God? Or are you trying to manufacture victory to to show that maybe you're listening to God? Or maybe you need to admit, like the nation Israel, I'm afraid, I'm depressed. Lord, I need the victory that David had. When was the last time you asked the Lord to deliver you in the battle? Or are you depending on your own skill, mental, physical, or spiritual? Do you really depend on God? Remember, there will always be another Goliath. There'll always be another giant. There'll always be another problem. Something will always pop up. Just as soon as you're done with one, there's another one waiting in the wings. Are you capable enough or are you dependent on God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to remember you in this passage. Help us to look at David and Goliath. Help us to see that you are the one who is leading us Help us to understand that victory requires us to finish the job. Help us to understand that victory is given to God alone. Help us to see, Father, that it is the enemy that is running and not us. Satan has been defeated. Jesus is the victor. And we are now in a mop-up situation. You have won the victory on the cross, and now it is for us to revel in what you have accomplished give us that strength remind us that you live in us and will give us everything we need when we call upon you we pray in jesus mighty name amen